You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. We have uh, been on a a series called Justice, and uh, Pastor George has done a wonderful job in helping us to understand uh, that God in and of himself is justice personified, and uh, our role in perpetuating Uh, the justice of God. And today we want to look at a passage, um, Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and you may stand uh, with me as we read scripture together. It is uh, located, uh, page 755 in your pew Bibles, and let us read together. In days to come, The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established, the highest mountains, and shall be raised up above the hills. People shall stream to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that he may walk on his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall arbitrate between strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they alarm war anymore. But they shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God. For we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to read a translation by Eugene Peterson called The Message, uh, which is a paraphrase of this particular passage of Scripture. And I just want you to to hear uh, the words of uh, Eugene Peterson as he puts it in in a paraphrase. But when all is said and done, God's temple on the mountain, firmly fixed, will dominate all mountains, towering above surrounding hills. People will stream to it, and many nations set out for it, saying, come, let's climb God's mountain. Let's go to the temple of Jacob's God. He will teach us how to live. We'll know how to live God's way. True teaching will issue from Zion, God's revelation from Jerusalem. He'll establish justice in the rabble of nations and settle disputes in far away places. They'll trade in their swords for shovels and their spears for rakes and hoes. Nations will quit fighting each other, quit learning how to kill one another. Each man will sit under his own shade tree. Each woman in safety will tend her own garden. God of the angel armies says so, and he means what he says. Meanwhile, all the other people live however they wish, picking and choosing their gods. 
but we live honoring God, and we're loyal to our God forever and ever. Amen. I would like to hang as a title over this text, uh, the beginning of peace, the beginning of peace. As we talk about justice, I think it's, it's important to realize that there's a strong relationship between justice and peace. Uh, that, as a matter of fact, peace is a byproduct of the justice of God. Every now and then when I get a chance to march, when we have marches here in Seattle and, and they're for a worthy cause, one of the chants you always hear is no peace, no justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. And as I think about that chant, it, it, the implication is there's a strong relationship between justice and peace. And what that chant really implies is that until justice is served, there will be no real peace. And in the book of Micah, in the book of Micah, Micah is one of those individuals. Uh, Micah is the prophet of the downtrodden and exploited people of Judah. He prophesies during a, a time of great social injustice and boldly opposes those who impose their power upon the poor and the weak. And I imagine that if Micah was here in this 21st century, he would be marching with us, uttering those words, no justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. For you see, Micah's prophetic message implies that Peace will not be a reality until justice is served. And also it shows the, the important relationship between justice and peace and true spirituality and, and social ethics. One of the things we notice in the book of Micah, chapters 1, 2, and 3, there's a clear uh, indictment against the children of Israel. There's a clear indictment against the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom Micah, in, in the imagery of chapters 1 through 3, he calls the people to court. He calls the northern kingdom to court. He calls the southern kingdom to court. And he begins to indict them. The, the priests of their day was not doing what they were called to do. They were called to intercede for the people. They were called uh, to serve as a teaching mechanism for the people, and they were not doing uh, what God had called them to do. But also Micah calls the politicians of his day, uh, the political leaders of his day, he challenges them because they were declaring that there was peace when there was chaos. And they were hiring their own prophets, their own false prophets, who would give fake news and say that there was peace. <laughs> But Micah came with a minority report and began to say that there is no justice and there is no peace. And so as we look at this passage, because uh, one of the things that Micah finds himself in, he's dealing with uh, a group of people who are in a state of denial. 
Uh, Dr. King pointed it, pointed out this way. He says, we have allowed the means by which we live to outdistance the ends for which we live. And in a real sense, uh, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom had allowed their means to bypass their ends. They, they allowed, they got their means confused with their ends. They had their resources confused with the source. And, and they began to, Micah began to challenge them on how they were seeing things. And so here we find in this particular passage of scripture, he says, in days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised up above the hills. Uh, the imagery that Micah sets forth in this first verse uh, is, is the imagery of of leadership of the mountain of the nations and God will establish uh, his own people, will establish them where they will be uh, above the hills and the valleys. They will be up above the, the hills and the small mountains and mountains represent nations and small countries. And it says that God will establish them. Now, you have to understand that the children of Israel, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, were the smallest of the nations. They were the smallest of the nations. And God is saying to them that we're going to, I'm going to establish you as the highest of the mountains. Now, when you contrast this to chapter 3, where it's clear that God is issuing judgment upon the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. But here in chapter 4, God says to them, even though you have been unfaithful to me, even though you have not kept uh, the covenant promise, I'm going to bless you anyway. I'm going to keep my end of the bargain anyway. And I love that we serve a God that even when we don't thank him when we get up in the morning, he wakes us up anyway. I love that we serve a God that in spite of our moody ways and our idiosyncrasies, uh, that God is a God of faithfulness and he will bless us in spite of us. And so we find here uh, that God is, God is saying, saying to the children of Israel, he's looking futuristically. He says, now I know that there's chaos going on around you, but I want you to know that there will come a time where I will establish you because of my covenant faithfulness with you. So he's looking futuristically and he's saying to them that I will establish you above Syria, I will establish you above Babylon. I will establish you above the nations. And as I read this passage, I, I think about, I begin to imagine uh, uh, the beauty of this passage and looking toward a day where, where there will be peace personified. And what God is really saying through Micah is that when God is present, when God is truly present in our lives, there is true peace. There's true peace. And look at verse 2. He says, and many nations shall come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction in the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Micah is saying 
during that day to his people that God has a pedagogical nature about him. And the tone that is being set here implies that God wants to teach not only the children of Israel, but he wants to teach all nations his ways. He wants to teach all nations the ways of love. He wants to teach all nations the way, the ways of peace and the way of justice. He wants to teach all nations. And so there is a pedagogical nature of God. God wants to teach us. He wants to instill in us. And when we have been taught by God, we have really been taught. We've really been taught when we, we've been taught by God. I, I remember growing up, my favorite, one of my favorite teachers, he was my third grade teacher, her name was Mrs. Williams. And Miss Williams was a great teacher. Uh, but whenever you misbehaved in Miss Williams' class, she would take a ruler out and she would hit you in the hands. Now, I, 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 you know, I'm glad that teachers don't do that anymore. At least I hope they don't. But what I love about God, God knows how to treat each one of us. He, God is patient with us. Uh, he's loving toward us. He's graceful toward us. And God's pedagogical ways uh, implies he wants to instill uh, his own uh, godliness within us. And so this is what this passage, uh, this verse is implying that all nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. And, and, and the other point of this verse is it implies the centripetal thrust of this passage. In other words, uh, there is a drawing of God. Not only God does, not only does God want to draw his own people, but he wants to draw all nations to himself. But there's also a centrifugal uh, aspect of God, which we see more clearly in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, there was a centripetal nature where God was drawing people to himself but he wanted to use the children of Israel as a royal priesthood and a holy nation to draw others to himself. But when they were not doing what God called them to do, and God says, you know what? Uh, since you're not doing what I've called you to do, I will draw people myself. You know, many times when we don't do what God calls us to do, he bypasses us. He goes around us. To, to get his will done. God wants to use us. Uh, he doesn't need us, but he wants to use us. But when we are not cooperating with God, God will go around us to, to accomplish his own purposes and will. And so we see the, the, petri, the centripetal nature of God and we in the New Testament, we see the centrifugal nature of God where in the New Testament, uh, they are encouraged to go beyond Jerusalem. They are encouraged to go beyond Judea and Samaria and the othermost parts of the world. And, and that is the centrifugal nature of God where God says, go out and make my name known to the nations. And so the tone is set here in this particular passage, in this verse. But then there's the judgment of God. He says he shall judge between many peoples in verse 3. And shall arbitrate between 
strong nations far away, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. I love this passage because it, my imagination runs with me when I, when I think of a day where there will be no more wars. There will be no rumors of wars. And the presence of God, the presence of Jesus Christ, he will set the record straight and he will be an arbitrator between nations. And, and the thing about Jesus being an arbitrator, God being an arbitrator is he knows what the real issues are. Uh, when, when nations come together, he will be the divine arbitrator. And I begin to think about this passage in, the, in terms of if God can do this nationally, then certainly he can do it personally in, on, in our own lives. If we will allow God to be that divine peacemaker between husband and wife. We allow God to be that divine peacemaker between father and son and mother and daughter. That God is a divine arbitrator. He is a divine peacemaker. And where the spirit of God is, there is a thrust for peace. Uh, there is a motivation for peace. And God wants us to live in peace. I think it was Paul who said in one of his letters that if it is all possible, let us live in peace with one another, as much as it depends on you. And so we all have a responsibility to, to live in peace, but this passage implies that God will remove the obstacles that cause uh, chaos and war in the world. And God will be a divine peacemaker, and the very things that have been used to bring about destruction will now be used to bring about peace. So the, the, we shall beat our swords in the plowshares and our spears in the pruning hooks. Instead of destroying one another, we will be building together. And isn't that a beautiful imagery of peace? Isn't that an awesome imagery of how God brings about peace? No, there were two painters. Uh, they were in a contest with, with each other. And they were asked to paint a picture of peace. One painter painted the sunset with the sun going down over calm water. It all looked very nice and the picture had a very calming effect. The other painter painted a picture of a storm. There were dark clouds, lightning and thunder, rolling overhead. The picture showed the waves crashing against the rocks. Things looked fairly chaotic. But in the corner of the painting, at the bottom, were two big stones with a bird in the middle of them. This bird was just a singing. Now that's peace. Peace is where God's calm and God's tranquility overrules your concerns. In other words, when there's chaos going around us, 
We can hide ourselves in the providential rocks of God and sing like there's peace in the world. And I want to encourage you today, find true peace, not in your riches, not in your homes, but you find true peace in God. But then there's another part of this passage that kind of helps us to understand what God is saying and how we can participate in this peace that God is perpetuating in the world, that God wants to perpetuate in the world. He says in verse 4, but they shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid. The mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. I love this imagery because Middle Eastern times and Old Testament times to sit under a fig tree meant that you were totally at rest. You were totally at peace. To sit under vines meant that all was well internally with you, that you had peace on the inside. And as I, as I read this verse, it made me think about when I was growing up and I was over my grandmother's house and she had this big tree that kind of covered the whole, uh, the, the whole area where she lived and barely kind of over the house. The, the shade was, and we would sit under that tree in those old rocking chairs and all the, those old chairs. And we would sit there and we would watch the cars pass, pass by. We would watch uh, people walk up the street and they would greet one another. And we would sit under that tree and we would enjoy one another's company. And it, it made me, this verse made me think about that because in my mind, that, that was the closest I've ever gotten to this kind of, of peace under a fig tree. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, uh, to pursue this peace and that this peace is a, can become a reality when, when, when we understand the peacemaking nature of God. But then he says in verse 4, verse 5, for all the peoples walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Micah is saying, God is saying through Micah, that even though there are people who are still going after their own gods, but you, we must make a commitment to walk in the name of the Lord our God forever. And this implies obedience. This implies letting God take the lead in our lives, following the, the leadership of God, following the ways of God. That when we walk in the name of our, of the Lord our God, there is peace on the inside, but there's also peace on the outside. And this word peace, the Hebrew word for peace means a holistic peace, a well-being, a holistic way of seeing things. And this peace, uh, also implies that we take up the mantle of being peacemakers and being peace givers. Question that I want to raise to you in as a result of this lesson today is what is one way your lifestyle can become more peacemaking? 
What is one way your lifestyle can become more peacemaking in your home? Uh, Some of us have been at odds with siblings, been at odds with parents, uh, been at odds with those in with whom we work. And God is calling you to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker, but a peacemaker. Alfred Nobel, a Swedish physicist, created dynamite. His intentions were awesome when he created dynamite. He wanted to create an explosive that could move rocks to build roads and get things out of the way to build buildings. He wanted to create a force that was powerful and that would make life better. The problem is that people took his creation and used it for destructive purposes to kill people and to make war. So depressed was Mr. Nobel that his good intention was being used in an evil and destructive way. He took $9 million, put it in an account, and began to award people for promoting peace. We call it the Nobel Peace Prize. What motivated him was the fact that What he intended for good was being used for wrong. He wanted to award those who were doing what his intentions were. These people get get the award. They become internationally recognized for being peacemakers. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing for the church to be recognized as peacemakers? Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing for us as Christians, wherever we find ourselves, on our jobs, on the campus of UW, wherever, to be recognized, now that's a peacemaker and not a troublemaker. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for being a peace giver. We thank you, Father, for being a divine peacemaker. And Lord, one of the reasons we are on planet Earth is to be a visible representation of your peace. And as you usher in that day, dear God, when you will rule on the throne, where peace will be the norm of the day, we help. We pray, Lord, that you will help us as a church to usher in that day and to work with you in being peacemakers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.